Hello, and welcome to Maine Golf Talk. We are your hosts, Zach Zonlow and Henry Fall. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing what makes Maine Golf so special. We'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as both players and coaches. We'll also branch out to discuss hot topics in the game and chat with special guests to hear their stories. All to keep you in the know and help you improve your game. Let's get into today's podcast. All right, welcome to episode three of Main Golf Talk. I am joined today by the face of Sugarloaf Golf Club, or more or less the mustache of Sugarloaf Golf Club, Director of Golf, John DeBias. John, welcome to uh, Main Golf Talk. Thank you, Zach. So, Johnny, you've been here since day one of Sugarloaf. How did you end up coming out to the golf course? Um, I had worked here uh, previously, 80-81 season, I believe. Um, I landed here with a degree in education. Uh, I thought I was going to graduate. I thought I was going to teach in Alaska. Didn't work. Had a buddy. We came up, spent the winter. It was fabulous. Back then, it was there was nothing in the summer, so you, you bounced around and you worked restaurant jobs, which I did for a number of years. Left to move to California. Uh, did, took, uh, did a cross-country bike trip and ended up working in a restaurant in Santa Monica. The golf course was underway, and I decided it was probably time to come back and see if I could get my foot uh, in the door here at the golf course in uh, 84. We opened... That winter, uh, I got to know a fellow by the name of Timmy Howe, who ran the golf club, uh, invited me on. We opened uh, September 11th, 1985, working out of uh, a little small building down by number 1 and 10T. And that's pretty much how I ended up here. So you've seen a lot here. I know during the build there were some changes. You know, we'll talk about 10 in a minute, but, you know, 3 was actually supposed to be left of the green, you know, left of where the green currently is. That's called ledges on the uh, the hole, but ended up being moved to the right. What what happened with ten? So ten in the original design, Jones had the green across the river. So Peter and Larry, I think, influenced Jones to move it. Just a short par four without any water carry, and it's a great par four. It's one of the greatest small par fours in the state of Maine. And they so they moved. They did end up moving it to its uh, current position. Um, it just. You've got you're gonna follow ten by another carry of eleven, par three eleven. They decided to 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 move that back and just make it a real challenging short par four without water carry. Have we seen any hole in ones on ten? We've seen uh, we have had two holes in ones on number ten. That's uh, that's quite quite impressive shot there. Incredible. So we had uh, we had the big changes on ten. We've uh, you know were there any other big significant changes to the golf course in the last you know thirty five years? There was a historic tree on uh, number five, which five was originally the number one handicap hole when we opened, and a large part of that was due to the tree that was situated in the right side of the rough, probably out there around two hundred and forty yards or so. We had a it was a, a big tree, and we lost that over the years. Um, there was a there was a large tree on the corner of six, which um, 
had played a lot into the tee shot. The tees at the time was situated on the right side um, when you drove up to the tee. So that tree loomed out into, actually into the fairway with its branches. So we've lost that. Number nine had a huge bunker um, situated pretty much in the center of the fairway out at about 200 yards, which you had to carry. If you were if you were, uh, if you're behind it, it's it's also guarded by uh, a, a, a large tree that was situated by the rock on the corner, um, which guarded that side of the, of the uh, fairway. So we went to Jones and asked him if it was okay if we filled that bunker in, and he said, "Go ahead. It really wasn't where it should be situated." So we lost that bunker. We've lost a bunker um, fairway on twelve. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're looking at a picture right now of the 9th and 12th where there used to be bunkers. And, I mean, you know, you just mentioned 5, 6, and 9, you know, probably three of the toughest holes already. You know, I couldn't even imagine how difficult they were, you know, back then. You know, luckily, though, you guys had a golf school to allow players to get better. Um, I heard rumored that we used to have Peter Costas up here. Is there any uh, truth to that? We actually had uh, Peter Costas here for um, a two-day weekend golf school. Peter Weber was buddies with Costas, and uh, he got Peter up here for two days, and I was I was lucky enough to be his gopher. Uh, so I worked two days with, with Peter, just tried to be a sponge and, and take in everything I could, and uh, ran around and filled balls for him, and, and uh, I think he gave me about a five-minute lesson, sand lesson, and that's... That's pretty much it, but it was impressive. Uh, during the lesson, began on Saturday, we were out there, at, and all of a sudden, a Cadillac pulls up, and a guy jumps out of it. It's a rental car, and it's Willie Wood, who had just missed the cut down in Sutton, Mass., and had himself driven to Sugarloaf Golf Club. He spent, I don't think he spent more than 15 minutes with Costas, and got back in the car and left, and... Costas presumably started the school back up, and, and Willie was fine. And it was just interesting that he needed to speak in person to his instructor and would go that far to get it done and, and, and then head back to Boston, I'm sure, and jump on the plane. I mean, it's it's crazy to think about because, you know, nowadays all we need is just a cell phone. You take a video of your swing, you send it to me, I can look at it in two seconds and, right, right. and go. So. We had Peter Costas. I also heard that we had uh, the infamous Dana Bolin, who's now the GM of Sunday River. I heard he used to be a uh, teaching pro or, you know, at least tried to teach golf. Dana taught golf here for a, a couple of years. We had, I think the head professional was Jimmy Knowles. Uh, Dana had worked previously for Jimmy at Wilson Lake. Uh, and so he, he ended up, Jimmy was here for a few years. Dana, he took Dana under his wing um, and gave him the opportunity to teach and maybe become a golf professional. Dana didn't do either one very well and decided to take a, a different career path, but he did, he entertained us for a couple summers for sure. I mean, he thought he could hit a golf ball off, you know, off a range basket. He often would, would show this to his uh, students, which he broke his driver one year. He also, he had two or three students in the middle of the fairway, and he thought he would show them how you can bend a ball around the corner, which I don't think Dana probably ever did in his life, but he thought he'd give it a shot. 
and and he and he hit it and he hit the green what he thought might have been the green and he got up and they drove up and there was pretty much there was a foursome with a guy laid out uh, on the green which Dana had hit him on the fly in the back of the neck so Dana <laughs> this guy is huge mind you he's about six five and weighs around two eighty. He's just a monster of a man. And Dana drives the cart up and comes screaming into the golf course to find me and tell me what he had done. And said, you know, just wanted to make sure, give Johnny, give the guy anything he wants. I mean, this is crazy. They could sue me. Um, and his career never really flourished after that. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one to come back from. <laughs> you know, fortunately, I have yet to uh, hit anybody. So we are sitting in the clubhouse right now talking but you know originally the clubhouse used to be up on the hill by the chipping green so that was uh what 2007 this clubhouse got built you know and you guys opened up the clubhouse midsummer. so what was it like trying to move a golf shop a golf operation from up on the hill down to where we are now it it was almost like a an overnight okay this is what we're gonna do Jeff Rosenberg was uh, overseeing the operation. We began in the morning to just take things, just pile things into golf carts and drive them down here and fill the pro shop up. And it was, there's a lot of slat wall in the golf course and not knowing, we just pretty much just began to hang up clothing on the slat walls and we just overloaded things. And by the end of the day, half the slat wall had come down due to the weight of the clothing. It's pretty much how we started. It's a great, it, it was a great addition uh, back up in the, uh, in the old horse barn where we, where we began, you, you had no view of the golf course at all. We went down over the hill and the, the players disappeared. Now we're down here, we're, we can control one and 10. You got a view of nine, Ten's right beside the pro shop. Everything flows great. But at, back then we didn't build, we had not built a clubhouse so we decided after after the first year working out of the little building down on one that we could move it. We could easily move into the West Mountain Lift building and build a, a somewhat of a pro shop out of uh, where we had hostels and we put a little restaurant in next door and, and off we went. So, I mean, you know, that, that building's seen a lot between the horse stalls, the golf shop. I mean, now it's now it's winter stick. So we uh, we played uh, we played a couple tournaments down at uh, Bethel at their their pro am and um, I think it was our last year we were uh, you know we might have had a couple uh, libations we were talking you know there were some good shots by Johnny during the day that we uh, we probably won't talk about here on this podcast but uh, you know we started talking about this idea of a par three course and you know now all of a sudden it's kind of taken off on us and we are now looking at possibly building a par 3 course here at Sugarloaf this coronavirus has kind of put this on the back burners but you and I walked around that property where we're looking um what what would you like to see out of this par 3 golf course Zach is correct he and I walked the property uh it, it the property looks i mean to us it looks great uh it, it's going to be along the West Mountain Road which will give it some exposure, which we do not have right now with this existing golf course. The property, the land is adjacent to where the new development is going to go. I, I got to believe, and we can, we can lengthen it if we need be. We can go across the road. It would be a great short course for junior golf, for people that just don't have the time to play 18 holes 
want to get in uh, a quick nine, got a couple hours after work, they can shoot out there and play. And it, it would be a great teaching facility for, for the juniors. And um, I'm very excited about it, and I'd really like to think I could put my stamp on this um, going forward, but uh, we'll see what happens. As Zach said, with this virus going on and, wh and where we go from here, I don't know, but um, Boyne Golf is, is excited about it, so I think uh, we may, and, and the town of Kiribati Valley is as well. So hopefully this is going to come to fruition. I mean, we saw some pretty cool things in there. There's some big, large oak trees. There's some cool rocks that we can use. Uh, there's even a little, you know, a little mini pond in there. So I think it could add a little bit of a, some challenge, and we don't have to make it too difficult. You know, we want a way to build up golfers so they can actually compete on, you know, the beast that is Sugar Loaf Golf Club. Uh, you know, you mentioned junior golf, and, you know, it's a big thing here at Sugar Loaf, trying to get juniors to play golf. And, you know, we were fortunate to uh, have a high school golf team start up this year, and your son participated in it. Golf's a weird sport where you're, it's all individuals, and, you know, it doesn't matter what happens, so... You know, what's it like now being a golf parent, watching your son play these matches, these tournaments? Is it, is it more difficult than playing, or is it is it easier because your son can just absolutely bomb it? It's it's crazy. It's it's um, I saw I get a little bit too involved in it, but like you said, Zach, he, he can bomb it. He can hit it. Um, he's become a pretty good player in uh, in a short time. He really was, he was a baseball player, played a little bit of golf when he could. For some reason, I can't keep my feet, you know, where I should be on the, on the golf course when I'm a spectator. Um, I tend to wander out into the fairway. Uh, every time I see the co uh, coach, when I see Zach, he's, he's looking at me, motioning for me to get the hell off the, you know, the fairway or the rough or what are you doing looking for balls over here? You know, just stay, stay back, stay away. Don't say anything to your son in between, you know, golf shots. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, it's it's a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. You know, I'm fortunate that Ben makes a lot of good decisions right now, and his his game's growing, and and uh, it's it's very exciting to to watch him play. It seemed like it was a uh, a weekly uh, sit down meeting where we had to uh, talk about two feet on the cart path. I know you are always pumped up when we go to. Uh, Courses like Oakdale that don't have cart paths, so you can kind of just wander away. I certainly did. All right, so we uh, we're, we got a few more minutes, and, you know, it, it is Masters week. So I know we're, we don't actually get to watch the Masters, but I know you've been to the Masters. You know, how many, uh, how did you guys get down there in the first place? So let me set the story. So in the winter of... Of 90-91, my good buddy, Tiger Bragdon, who was part owner of Geppetto's Restaurant, which is just across the courtyard from the bag restaurant where I bartend. Uh, we became uh, great friends, and we decided we should we ought to go to the Masters Golf Tournament and go see what this is all about. And we were able to procure tickets. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how they came about, but we ended up there in 91, and 91 was the year that in Woosnam, we had Jose Maria and Tom Watson, and that was a battle between Jose and Tom, and then Woosnam came in, and I don't know how Tiger and I, and we did all the things that you normally do the first three days at anyone, 
that goes to Augusta National does. And we did it all. And that Sunday, and it, it and it's Sunday at Augusta. It's is incredible, and and it it's it it'll bring chills to you. The you know the roars that you hear. Um, it, it's like they say. It's like no other. Um, it, it's we ended up on 16T somehow. That's uh, where we were on Sunday afternoon, and those guys are battling. And you know you're just scoreboard watching and. And Watson makes double on 12, hits it in the water, and then jumps right back and makes eagle on 13. So he's in it. And, and at the time, we were behind the tee on 16, and the grandstands were smaller to the right on, on 15 green. So you could look over and, and pretty much see all of 15 green back then. And so we had a great view, and, and they're coming down 15, and Watson eagles 15. And he walks off the green, and they're coming down, and people are just going apeshit. I mean, he gives that grin, and he's a former champion, so they're fired up, and, and people are screaming, USA. And I just stood there, and I swear that the hair of the back of my neck was standing up. And, and Tiger looked at me, and, and there was breeze blowing into the players, and... and Jose's on the tee box. I remember it like it was today. And he's got white pants on, and they're starting to ruffle. And my buddy Tiger looks over at me and goes, look at Johnny. He's shaking. He is absolutely shaking. And, and they, hit this, they hit their tee shots. We grab our chairs, and we just head as fast as we can to 18, to get to 18 tee. And, and I looked at Tiger, and I'm like, somehow we have got to find a way to get back here every year. I don't know how we're going to do it, but this is electric. And Watson gets to 18. 18 back then, um, this is before 97, before Tiger changed everything, was about, it was roughly a 400-yard, 401-yard golf hole. And he pulls out three-wood to play it safe and flares it into the tree's right. Woosnam stands up, bombs driver over the fairway bunker, left fairway bunker, a mile over that bunker, and takes everything out of play and goes on to make a seven-foot putt, I think, for, for par and, and, and wins the thing by one over Jose. It was, it was just a fabulous experience. And, and we, just, we just spent the, the next winter trying to figure out how we could get back. And a, funny, a quick funny story is, is we, we thought we had tickets for four days. And we met the folks that had the badges. And they had badges not for they had four badges for one day, not two badges for four. So we were there on Thursday. We were there for the week. We had badges for one day. So now we're, we're in panic mode, and, and Tiger's calling his girlfriend back in Maine, and, and her dad has got connections in Georgia. She calls and says, you, we've, you've got tickets for Saturday. You've got to go meet this couple. You've got to go have barbecue with them, and they'll give you have badges for Saturday. So we go, we get the badges, we're all set. We go Saturday, fabulous. We now turn our attention to Sunday, and we've got a buddy that works on on the first hole, Danny Snow from Brunswick, Maine, who had worked on had worked at Augusta for years, and we called him and and told him what. Our predicament was, and we heard nothing Saturday evening. Sunday morning, we get up, we call him. He's, and this is unreal. He said, all right, guys, 
more on, I've got you tickets, and you need to go to this address. The fellow's name is Ashton Blunt III. He, go to his mailbox, and there'll be an envelope there for you. Wait, so so they're just meet some random guy yeah. who sounds fictional, and yeah. they're just going to be magically in a mailbox. Ashton Blunt III, we're not even going to meet Ashton. He's not going to be there. Just open the mailbox, and the envelope will be there. I jump out of the car. I look around. I canvass the neighborhood to make sure no one thinks that we're, you know, we're breaking in or stealing mail. I grab the envelope. I jump back in the rental car, and it says Johnny and Tiger. And I open it up. The badges are there. There's a note. You guys, you boys, keep the, you know, the badges. Enjoy your day. We don't take money for badges here in Augusta. So just have a blast. It's the craziest thing in the world. And after that. We put our name in with Danny Snow to become, to work at the Masters, and we were on the list for years, and, and uh, went down and, and were able to go for four days. Danny had a buddy that used to run um, volunteers at Augusta National. Uh, we primed the pump every year we went down. Uh, we paid fa face value for the badges. Uh, we always told everyone we're here, we can work. We always we brought lobsters every year just so the pump wouldn't go dry. And that went on for probably four years. And then finally we got the call and, and both Tiger and I ended up uh, being marshals. And we, uh, we ended up on the range, which was a fabulous place to work because you worked half day shifts, you worked morning or you worked afternoon. And I could go on and on about, I've got a million stories about working at Augusta National. What uh, what was the the memory that you you know vividly remember? Because like for me, I've been three or four years. You know, there's there's some moments that I you know I will never forget. You know, there's got to be one memory that you will always cherish and always remember. I guess you'd have to say I saw a number of great ones, but um, the '97 Masters, um, which Tiger Woods ended up destroying. We, we worked the morning shift that day. Tiger teed it up in the morning. And I said, well, I'm going to run down and check the scoreboard to see where Tiger stands after nine. And I go down, and he shoots 40 on the front nine. And I'm like, wow. Man. So I go back and tell, well, the kid's done. He just shot 40. He's just shot four over on the front. I don't, you know, I don't know where it's going to go from here. So from there, it, it goes on, and and. He, he wins by 12 uh, and just totally picks the place apart, which was, it, it was a, that's an incredible memory. I'm glad that I was there to, to see it. I spent a lot of time that year out on the golf course watching it. That was a cool memory. Uh, Arnie Palmer every year driving in, you know, coming in Magnolia Lane. He always had his own, he had his own parking spot. Got out, put his bag together, threw the clubs in, tossed some out, threw them in the trunk. You could always count on seeing Arnie there. Everyone else came in in rental cars and were dropped off, but Arnie always drove himself in, which is pretty neat. Uh, and, you know, Paul Azinger, Payne Stewart playing football uh, between the range and the clubhouse was, was, pretty, was a pretty neat scene uh, to see those guys just yucking it up out there and throwing the football around. I saw Crenshaw's victory. Uh, that was pretty incredible. I think my first real understanding of who ran that golf tournament was uh, we had a, we had to close it due to weather, 
and resume in the morning. And I was going to be on the range in the morning, and I had to be there before sunrise. And and we checked in and walked out. You get to you know you walk up onto the golf course up to the range, and you just you're the only the only people that are on that golf course at that time are superintendents from all over the United States that volunteer to work out there. So you've got the superintendents out there and you've got mowing greens and you've got their setting pins and, and you're out there and, and you can go anywhere you want in the morning and, and check this all out. I get, I got to the range, Scott Simpson's on the range and he's bitching uh, that there aren't any golf balls uh, to hit. The sun hadn't rose yet. And one of the green jackets looks over at him and he says, Scott, the sun isn't up. When the sun comes up, we'll put the bags of balls out on the range, and you can hit. And he didn't say a peep. He just turned around and walked off. So right there, I kind of I understood at that moment that those are the guys that are running the show. Yeah, it's it's incredible. You know, it's it's one of those tournaments that you know USGA, RNA, PGA, they don't run it. It's it's the Green Jackets and. That's what makes I think Augusta so so special that it's it's you know it's their tournament, you know. And you, you talk about working at the range, and what we see now on TV is the the tournament range. But when you were there, it was it was a different range, wasn't it? Yes, yes. There were two ranges uh, at Augusta. The main range uh, where you hit all your shots was directly across the pro shop, and to the right of that, they had a range that, uh, that, that you practiced short game, sand, and it was on the other side of Magnolia Lane, right beside, adjacent to it. Um, VJ Singh used to drive those guys crazy because he would drive balls from the, uh, the iron range over Magnolia Lane onto the other range, and they drove the green jackets crazy. But uh, yeah, it, it was, it's the only place that the patrons can get autographs. It can get real crazy when, when the guys come through. It's a whole different range and a whole different setup now uh, than it was when I, when I worked there. Um, another great story. Oh, I got to tell you this one. So uh, I'm there. This is my first year working. David Duval, who was, I think in 99, was, was uh, number one in the world. So I, you know, we're told there are three play people on the range at one time. So you've got the player, and you've got the caddy, and you've got his coach, and that's it. If there's more than three people on the range with a player, um, you're going to have to ask him to leave. So it's late in the day, and Duval's on the on the iron range, and he's got his caddy out there. He's got his dad, and he has his dad's girlfriend. And I'm standing there, and I'm watching this whole thing, and I'm trying to decide what I should do, and I'm like, you know, I got a six. So I go under the rope and I walk out and I'm like, David, can I talk to you, please? And he said, sure. And uh, I said, look, you got, you have too many people on the range. I got to ask, one is going to leave. And he said, no, you're right. And he looked over, he goes, dad, you're out. <laughs> and it was as easy as that. I'll never forget. It was awesome. You know, I mean, it's crazy now because you got cameras over there. You got you know, players with all these track mans. I mean, they have, back then, I mean, it was pretty much just, if you're a player, you're a player, you know, you can have X amount of people, but it, it was pretty quiet. It wasn't like it is now where you can pretty much see every single shot they hit on the range. You know, crazy to think about. So, I mean, we could, we could probably talk, you know, forever about, about master's experiences, about what we, you know, both of us have seen out there. And, you know, I think we're just going to 
you know, if you want to keep talking to Johnny about this, you know, you're going to be able to find him here at the golf shop. You know, you can hear some stories, but uh, we're going to end it with our uh, our wicked fire round of questions. Johnny, I'm going to have ask you a couple questions, and you're going to answer these right on the spot. So, here we go. Question one: What are your top five courses? Sugarloaf Golf Club, Portland Country Club, Kibo, Belgrade, Crouch Neck. It's a good one. All right, what's uh, what's your favorite golfing memory? Favorite golfing memory was playing Augusta National with my three good buddies. Ron Moody, Tiger Bragdon, and Tommy Blake. What was your score on 12? Bogey. I hit it over the green. I was able to <laughs> make four. You didn't contribute to Ray's Creek, so you're, right. uh, you're doing good there. And uh, final question. What, uh, what is your dream foursome? My dream foursome. I'd have to say my dream foursome would be... I'm going to say it would be Tiger Bragdon, Arnold Palmer, and my dad. That's always a good one, having your dad in there. So uh, thanks, thank you, Johnny, for uh, taking the time to join us today. Uh, follow Main Golf Talk on both Instagram and Twitter. And ask us any questions you want to hear from, uh, from Henry and I. And uh, if you have any guests that you want appearing, let us know. Mm-hmm.